don't move a muscle because on today's podcast we're continuing our journey through Doctor Who's 12th series and the latest episode is Orphan 55. You're listening to Cloisterbell, a weekly Doctor Who podcast hosted by Benny and Rob. <laughs> Benny? Hello everyone, of course we'll be discussing spoilers for Orphan 55 and potentially any other Doctor Who story that preceded it, so tread carefully as the podcast kicks off. Um, yeah, I'm Rob and I'm here with Liam. Hello everyone. Hi. Been alright? Yes, yes, all well with me. How about you? Fine, yeah. Yeah, a bit of a later recording this week. I think with Spyfall we recorded them both on the night, didn't we? Uh, yeah, yeah, we did, and uh, so yes, uh, sorry there's been a bit of a delay in getting uh, the podcast out for Orphan 55, but we've both been um, terribly busy, so um, I remember I-, I was able to watch the episode as soon as it came out, but then after that, because of work, I had to travel down London, yeah. um, and I've been sort of in communicado for quite a while, um, and I know you've been quite busy as well, haven't you? That's right, yeah, um, work patterns are a bit unpredictable, and mm. so it's, it's hard to plan the podcast yeah, but we uh, we try our best and we try and get them out as soon as possible and hopefully um, things will, will prove to settle um, yeah. later on. Uh, but yeah. um, for the listeners, uh, thank you thank you for your patience and uh, thank you for listening. I think quite naively we thought, um, oh, what day should we put it out on? Maybe a Wednesday or a Thursday, but it's just whenever, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, do, we do try to endeavour to, to, to have a schedule so it's, it's easier for you listeners to, to determine when the, the podcast comes out. But unfortunately... Um, uh, 2020 has kicked off well the end of 2019 was a bit of a nightmare because of technical problems and 2020 has proven to be a bit difficult just because of um, as you said work schedules but um, hopefully it was worth the wait so before we go any further I think it's time for the news <laughs> Doctor Who season 14 blu-ray to be released Fourth Doctor Tom Baker's third season is to be released on Blu-ray for the first time ever, and now it's available for pre-order. This continues the wave of recent Blu-ray re-releases of classic Doctor Who. Yeah, I, be, uh, I pre-ordered it. The news was leaked um, the day before the official announcement, so everyone was getting terribly excited. And in fact, uh, the day the news was leaked, the uh, lead bindings artwork was uh, was suddenly released on Twitter. It looks absolutely amazing. You got. You've got Tom Baker in his uh, Tons of Wang Chiang um, Sherlock Holmes type costume. And it just looks absolutely fantastic. So for those uh, who are interested, season 14 contains uh, the Mask of Undragora, the Hand of Fear, the Deadly Assassin, the Face of Evil, the Robots of Death, the Talons of Wang Chiang. Um, you know, incredibly, cl- uh, you know, wonderful classic stories. It sees the departure of Sarah Jane Smith. It brings in Leela. Um... Just a quick overview, It'll the, the set will contain all of the um, special features that were contained on previous DVDs. But the new ones, there's a 5.1 surround sound for the Deadly Assassin, there's some brand new audio commentaries behind the sofas which have become standard of these sets. Uh, there's a feature length documentary looking at um, um, of the life and uh, career of Elizabeth Sladen. Um, is Matthew Sweet interviewing Philip Hinchcliffe. There's there's loads more as well. 
Um, there's also rumours that Season 12 box set will be re-released in June, but that's yet to be confirmed. I wonder if that will be the standard packaging, uh, the, the previous packaging for Season 12. Yeah, I have a sneaking suspicion it will be. The reason being is because Season 12 was the very first box set that was released. And because they weren't entirely sure of the market and the demand for it, they actually made less than... Uh, far less than they actually realised that they would need to supply the, the full demand. And Those because... fools. <laughs> yeah, uh, because... Um... People are now selling uh, the original releases for astronomical prices. It's quite unfair. Um, so I know it'll, season twelve will be re-released. It will be in, again limited numbers, and for I don't know what the period is, but I think it's a case of watch this space. But rumours at the moment is that that will be re-released in June. More series twelve episode titles revealed. Thanks to Doctor Who magazine, we now know a few more episode titles for series 12. Episode 5 is titled Fugitive of the Jadoon. Stomping their way into present day Gloucestershire, the Jadoon are on a hunt for someone on the run. Who is this fugitive, and why are these alien mercenaries after them? Episode 6 is titled Praxius. The Doctor and her friends split up to investigate multiple mysteries across planet Earth. What they will find will threaten all of humanity. Back to you, Liam. Oh, well, actually, sorry, uh, just before the end of the news, um, because this is a last-minute thing, um, for those who are interested in all things Doctor Who and vinyl, it's just been announced at the time of recording that um, Doctor Who, The Paradise of Death, and The Ghosts of Endspace are going to be released on a collector's edition, uh, as well as a standard edition, a vinyl box set. Uh, It's going to be six vinyls in the set, uh, the release date at the moment is the 20th of February and these were the BBC Radio Audio Adventures that were made in the 90s um, starring John Pertwee. Brilliant, there's been quite a few vinyl releases lately hasn't there? Yeah there has been, um, I know that they've done uh, the Web Planet, Destiny of the Daleks, Genesis of the Daleks, the Daleks Master Plan, uh, so this is, this is part of, of that range. Uh, there's also apparently at some point there's also going to be some soundtracks that are going to be released um, of, from classic Doctor Who stories um, so that would be interesting to see so yeah sorry about that last minute edition but that was just sort of uh, breaking news from our point of view um, so that would be quite good although the set is jolly expensive it's at the moment it's uh, the price is quoted just shy of £90 uh, um, so I, w- I, d- I won't be shelling out for that um for two reasons. One, it is a bit expensive, and the other is because it's... I love Paradise of Death, but the Ghost of Endspace is just awful. <laughs> anyway. So this week, we'll be asking a trivia question again. Have you got one prepared? Uh, yes, have you? I do. Um, in Series 11, the 13th Doctor said that in... 193 years from now, what rebellion results in an utter bloodbath? Alright, okay. That's a good question. I think I know the answer. Um, Right, okay, that's a good question. Uh, My question to you, Rob, is Orphan 55 was shot on location in Lanzarote. Which classic Doctor Who story also filmed there? 
Okay, that's a good one. Um, so stick around, uh, listeners, to, towards the end of the podcast where we, we will reveal our answers. So on to Orphan 55. Exhausted and wrung out, the Doctor and her friends embark on a much-needed holiday, but it's not the relaxing break they hoped for. Do you think for once you'd like a, a nice episode where nothing goes wrong? <laughs> this Graham lounging about in his speedos. I just think that moment when when they when they arrive at the uh, the holiday resort and he, he just says to the doctor, "I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to sit there for three hours, and then I'm going to go over there." I just thought that that, that was great. Um, I think it would be an interesting change of pace, but I also think it would probably make for quite a boring story. If, yeah. Uh, <laughs> nothing happened. So we've got a list of cast for this episode: Laura Fraser as Kane. Mm-hmm. We've got Geary as Bella. James Buckley as Nevi from The Inbetweeners. Julia Foster as Vilma. Amy Booth Steele as Hyphen with a Three. Will Austin as Vaughn. Cole Farrell as Benny. And Lewin Lloyd as Silas. This episode was written by Ed Heim, who also wrote It Takes You Away. And directed by Lee Haven Jones, who incidentally also directed Spyfall Part 2. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the cinematographer is Ed Moore, who also worked on Spyfall Part 2 as well. Oh. Uh, just before we, we go on, so one of the um, outstanding characters uh, in this story is is Vilma, played by Julia Foster. Yeah. Uh, and prior to us recording, I asked if you recognised her and you said no. And I said, well, don't go too much into research because I've got a surprise for you. So Julia Foster... Uh, has appeared in the 1966 movie uh, along with Michael Caine Alfie but that is not what she's most known for what Julia Foster is famous is for being told to calm down dear by Michael Winner and informed she is in a commercial wow okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) she's the one in the Isha adverts around about 2002 where she appears on screen with Michael Winner and he goes, calm down, dear. It's a commercial. And then she starts waving at the camera and goes, hi, mum, I'm on the telly. That's her. Wow. <laughs> I would never have got that. <laughs> How odd. Uh, for anyone outside the UK or born after 2002 and go, what the hell are they talking about? Uh, Isha uh, did a series of adverts uh, about 2002 for car insurance. Um... And they became quite famous for Michael Winner appearing them and telling this woman to calm down, dear. It's a commercial. And the woman he says that to is our Julie Foster, Julia Foster, who plays Vilma, who's famous in this episode, Rob, for saying, for having one line of dialogue. What was it again? <laughs> Benny! <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like my Benny. <laughs> Moving at 37 clicks an hour. <laughs> I should think not. <laughs> No. Anyway, we'll get on to that absolute wonder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this review is going to be fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, joking aside, like it's also a bit tragic, this episode, isn't it? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, it is. So we've got to get our laughs out as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, back to the serious stuff. The space squid. <laughs> I love this. I thought this was just a wonderful uh, introduction to the story. So it turns out that the the, the, the TARDIS uh, crew have somehow encountered a 
have somehow encountered the space squid, which has reproduced quite a bit in the TARDIS, and they're all mopping up at the beginning of it. <laughs> which could be gross, but it's actually just played for laughs and done quite well, I think. <laughs> she didn't realise it was mating season. No, no, she didn't. <laughs> no, she didn't. Um, so I guess it's apparent that they've had other travels between um, Spyfall and now, because mm-hmm. it doesn't take place straight away after. Although it can't be that much later because um, Yaz comments on the Doctor Strange. Yes, mood. that's right. Yeah, she yeah. says a break will um, get her out of her mood, and she kind of snipes back like my mood's fine. So she's obviously still dwelling on the whole Gallifrey thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, very much God's so. Sake, just get over it. <laughs> that was last week. <laughs> yeah, it was last week. We've all moved on. Why can't you love? Jeez. Calm down, dear. It's only Gallifrey. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that was actually quite nicely done. It was it was a little, obviously, a bit of a nod to what happened at the end of the previous episode where the Doctor sees the destruction of, of Gallifrey. But um, it's done a way where, obviously, it's referenced to that, but you can sort of watch all from 55 as its own adventure yeah. but if you do watch it as its own mm. you'll be thinking god she's in a bit of a bad mood <laughs> without any context yeah. Yeah. yeah true but she she quickly uh, shakes herself out of it in fact because they all do um, because it turns out uh, Graham has won a sort of competition he's got his sixth coupon <laughs> yeah he's got his sixth coupon and they all uh they all get teleported out of the TARDIS to this this holiday resort, and it seems quite nice, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I've got a question, a burning question. Mm. Was Graham actually wearing his speedos, or was he just having a bit of a laugh? I hope he's having a laugh. Yeah. Speedos are just wrong. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> if there's any companion who was likely to wear speedos, it was just probably Graham. So they teleported to this tranquility spa, but they don't seem to worry too much about being separated from the TARDIS. See, I'd probably be freaking out by, yeah, by now. But uh, they are quickly... Um, they are welcomed by uh, Hyphen with a three, um, who mm-hmm. who reminds me of a certain character in the movie Spaceballs. Um, <laughs> yes. yes. Um, wonderful stuff. Um and she does actually explain, oh, it's absolutely fine. Uh, we've actually, it's in the system at clocks where it's teleported you from, so you will be able to get back, no problem. So it's sort of explained. Maybe, but I know what you mean. You Maybe you would feel a bit dubious. Yeah. Especially if, like, Barf from Spaceball turns <laughs> up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Lovely tale, though. The older couple, Vilma and Benny, I keep wanting to say Wilma. She's not a I wish it was called Wilma because then you could have uh, Benny and then Wilma. Oh, they missed a trick here. Um, so he's about to propose in marriage. Um, so he's getting the ring out of the box and Yaz interrupts. At this point, I did actually think one of them might die. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, su- I suppose it did have that sort of that alarm to it that. Uh, Oh, here's some nice old couple, and they've been getting on for years, and he's about to... It did have that, oh, <laughs> which one of them is going to die, then? It's going to happen. Um, but it was sort of interesting as well, because there seems to be this thing about uh, people blo- people blocking the developments of relationships uh, in this series. Um, uh, I was just about to mention the example in Spyfall, but I've completely forgot what... It- oh, yes, uh, the whole thing between... Um, 
Ryan wanted, wanting to um, get the contact details of Yaz's sister. She puts the blocker on that. Uh, and then you have in this episode, you know, he's um, Yaz stops this proposal. And then later on, I know I'm jumping ahead, because uh, Ryan develops a, a relationship with one of the characters and they're, they're sort of, you know, sort of fun, um, fumbling along with their conversation and then the doctor just sort of like sits in and cock blocks Ryan um yeah she does sorry to put it like that um so, so I wonder if this is a theme of, of of the series people just put just people getting in the way of developing relationships like hang on this is a family show <laughs> yes <laughs> enough of that none of that oh so the announcement reminds them that everything's all inclusive mm-hmm. So Ryan's like, oh, free stuff. So he grabs the food, of course. But unfortunately, Simic jumps into him. Yeah, and I actually thought this was a, a, you know, a, an interesting idea, which is this, uh, you've got a bug or virus which is able to uh, affect technology and it's also adapted where it can, it can jump and affect people biologically as well. Which I thought was, mm. a, which I thought was a good idea and it was realised quite well. It's a bit of a shame then that nothing really becomes of that, does it? Of this creature? It does sort of, but I feel that in a way which I just feel it's a bit it's a bit lazy writing, but Well I guess it was plot centric because um it goes to she says it's gonna adapt Ryan's nervous mm. system. And later on it does adapt this compound that they need for the teleporter. True. But, uh, and also it's it also mirrors the dregs a little bit because they were adaptive as well, mm-hmm. weren't they? Because um, Kane had a, a modulating weapon because they were adaptive. Yeah, that's true. But um, I feel that so there's this whole thing later on in the episode where they they need to transport, but they're they're missing um, they're missing the, the the chemical that they need. Um, so the chemical that you've—I've forgotten the name. Do you remember the name of the chemical? Something like Sicilian three or Cerulean three that they need to make into Cerulean four. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, perfect. So obviously, uh, so it's 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 a good idea that right. Okay, so we've got this virus which will adapt it. Um, so it will adapt it into number four, which is what we need. But by the time you get to that point, it is so rushed. Um, I feel like that could have easily been explained oh there's just a technological glitch uh right i've mended it i mean it's probably less imaginative but it didn't feel like that this way of of solving the problem um was well thought through i don't know it just felt a bit um there's another part of that that feels rushed as well the young boy silas disappears moments later oh he's back he just turns up and then he helps yeah, yeah. Um, he wasn't really in any danger. No, no, he wasn't. It just, yeah. Again, that bit, it felt like, oh, we we need, uh, we suddenly need a moment of peril. Oh, we'll just make the sun run off. Oh, he's there. Oh, he's fine. Oh, he can help. Yeah, that that felt incredibly rushed as well. And in fact, because his character and um, that of his father, this, I mean, you could re- you could easily re. You could easily remove them from the story and they wouldn't affect it. Yeah, you forget about them halfway through. Like, yeah. Are they still there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only reason why they stand out is because they've got these absolutely wonderful green wigs. Yeah. Just there to add a bit of colour. <laughs> yes. Well, th- there is one positive to come out of the Hopper virus. 
we got to see Ryan Suckness them screaming, wafting imaginary bats away. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We do. Uh, and I did, I did like all that scene because uh, this thing happens. The Doctor quickly steps in. It was a moment of quite good comedy uh, in terms of the writing and in terms of the performance. <laughs> I did quite like it. And the way that he is then introduced to... Um, oh, I've forgotten the character's name, Rob. Help me out. Bella. Yes, Bella. Thank you. Uh, and the way that they are introduced... Because Bella's also... Um, has been suffering from the same thing and they're both recovering together. That is quite nice. Uh, that is... Uh, or, or was she suffering from the same thing? Yeah, I true. Thought, I, thought, I thought not. Well, that was a bit funny. I think it could be read either way without it really affecting uh, the plot too much. Um, so the doctor's trying to get into the linen cupboard. <laughs> Quite a big linen cupboard. Um, she uses the psychic paper here. Um, is it just me or was that larger than it used to be? Or is it still the regular size and the doctor's just smaller this time? <laughs> so I can't tell. Small hands. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is a bit larger. Um, yeah, possibly. I'm not sure. Maybe. <laughs> So when the doctor's in the linen cupboard, do we still call it this? Yeah. Um, the the health spa's ionic membrane is down, so uh, the creatures start again and they're attacking everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, guests and kind of like um, the guard. And in all the action, um, Graham meets the green-haired Nevi, played by James Buckley, and yeah. and his really smart son Silas. Mm-hmm. Um. Why is it? Why are kids always portrayed as like being like overly smart? Because <laughs> they never just have like a bratty kid in the show. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's, it's like a role it? model. <laughs> yeah, but it's um, yeah. Why 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 can't we have uh you know how it actually should be you know um, older people being role models to kids. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is a bit of a a trope which gets used an awful lot. Um. I'm not really complaining about it. No, no, I mean, I'm not really bothered about it either. <laughs> I just think um, that on this occasion, because when we said that uh, Cyrus runs off later on because his father doesn't listen to him, um, which I thought, oh, right, okay, there's there's a bit of a, um, there's a, you know, they're commenting on the relationship here and therefore commenting on um maybe like parent dynamics or something in it not in a too heavy way but okay the the way that it's been portrayed so far but really all what it is it's it's just to get um cyrus into into peril seemingly but then nothing really becomes of that and it doesn't uh, it doesn't really have a place in this story does it no um it's a bit odd so it feels like these characters have been written in and um and then Oh, we don't really know what to do with them. We just yeah. shoehorn these things in. It's um, I think the episode suffers from that, not just in terms of these two characters, but uh, quite a bit actually, um, with quite a few things. But we'll get onto mm. that. Yeah, so maybe it had good intentions this episode, but maybe it just wasn't executed properly. Yeah. Mm. Um. Ryan and Bella hide in the steam room. Mm-hmm. Oh, the doctor. Is told you can't build a new ionic membrane from scratch. To which she replies, "If I had a crayon in half a can of spam, I could build you from scratch." <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a good line. I liked that. Yeah, I kind of believed her as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Um, 
it's yeah it's it, i think um it's it's a good line and uh julie Winnicott delivers it really well you know she plays the humor but yeah as you say you, you do believe her going, yeah I'm, I'm sure you could that's an episode which some, yeah. which is something i'd like to see <laughs> and um what did you because the, uh, the monsters in their stories are called dregs uh what do you think of them right okay Visually, I think they're great. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of efforts went into designing them and making them. Yeah, I heard, I got the impression there was going to be a really terrifying villain in this episode, so I was quite intrigued. But my problem with them is that I think we see too much of them. Mm-hmm. Look back at Ridley Scott's Alien. You just, barely, yes. you barely saw that creature, mm-hmm. and you know, your imagination can be the most terrifying thing of all. Yeah, and that isn't to take anything away from the design of the dregs and the and, and the costume and, and everything because it is really good, but mm. as, yeah, but Alien is a good example because that is a phenomenally good design, um, and I mean you do see the full thing at the end and so it, it the it pays off, but during the course of the movie you just see sort of glimpses of it, uh, and it works far more effectively. So yeah, I think because um, Spencer Wilding does the uh, he plays the lead drag and he's also credited for doing the creature movements. And he was in Cold War, uh, where he played the Ice Warrior, the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. He played the the Wood King thing, and the God pl- got and played the God Complex. He was in the God Complex, and he played the creature in that. So he's been in Doctor Who playing sort of similar things. And I think um, so. You've got the the so it's not just uh, the design of them, but it's also the the performance of of the actors in them with all yeah. their creature movements it, it works uh, I think it's very good but yes I agree I think um, a bit more because how they're introduced in the story is is through a lot of close-ups isn't it yes and in the in the steam room mm-hmm. of course we've got this brilliant atmosphere it's quite dark yeah and it's hovering over Bella and Ryan mm-hmm. um, I'd argue maybe in that scene we still saw too much of it Um, yeah uh, possibly, but yes, I think the the way that the creature is introduced, uh, I think, is, is is done very effectively, and I think it would have been quite nice had um, that sort of dark atmosphere con- continued throughout. I still think it's a good design, and I still think that, uh, they look good. Uh, but yeah, maybe maybe they could have held back a little bit. But um... I do have another problem with them. Um, they move really slowly, and they're not much of a threat. It's like. It's like um, walking out of a zombie apocalypse. You know, they're not going to... Zombies that just don't run after you. And you can mm. just push them away. It's it's almost like that because they seem like a real danger. But the you don't see them sprinting towards you. That's true. I never actually thought of it when I uh, when I watched it. But yes, I think, you, I think you've got a point there. I think because either... Yeah, I think you... For modern audiences, I think you do either one or two things. Uh, either... You have them in greater number, so it doesn't matter if they're slow moving. There's so many of them, they will likely get you. So you either do it that way, and that can be quite creepy. Uh, this idea that even though they're slow, they're just constantly moving, constantly after you, and just the numbers are huge. Or if you can't do that, uh, you know, try and sustain the illusion that there are quite a few of them. But you know, you have them chasing you. Um, you know, like modern zombies from like 28 Days Later and so on. Yeah, um, I agree with you there. Actually, uh, I didn't think that when I watched the episode, um, but I think that's a, I think that is a good point. There is a possible explanation, I think, because 
it's not alluded to much, but we know they're intelligent. Um, and we know that they like to tie with people, so they might be going slow intentionally, just to kind of taunt people and terrify them. Possibly, yeah, that's true. Possibility. <laughs> yeah. So, Yasmin and the old couple, Graham and the greenhead couple, all seem to converge upon the linen cupboard. <laughs> um, so they go inside with the doctor, however the old guy Benny doubles back for Vilma's hat. And unfortunately, this is the last thing we'll ever see him. Yeah, I mean, you're being chased by things that you know that are going to brutally murder you. Sod the bloody hat! <laughs> um, but but having said that, though, I think, uh, you know, it, it fitted, within, fitted within the character. Yeah. A bit, you know, he, you know, um, maybe he thought he had more time, the stupid doddering old man. But yeah, but, so <laughs> if only he hadn't went back for the hat... He would have saved his partner a lot of memes and gifts. <laughs> yes, because, <laughs> that's true. Because people, I mean, it was, you probably had the same reaction when you were watching the episode. I know I didn't. I think a lot of people did and have latched onto it straight away. Uh, with the whole constant, Benny, where's Benny? Uh, that did become, that did become quite a... Uh, that really became the whole purpose of the story, didn't it? Where is Benny? So then we learn Benny's outside the resort. Yeah. Do you think they took him um, just so the people would follow? Well, this is the thing. It's it's a bit weird. So they're after after Benny. Uh, we don't know where he is or what he's doing. It it becomes established that um, that the creatures. Uh, the dregs uh, have taken him and they've taken him to their hideout it's not established why they're doing that because up until that point they've killed everyone so why is he being treated differently it's not ascertained um, what they're doing with him and then when they do ca- almost catch up with him and because they're all they're now outside the resort and it turns out that this resort was built uh, where it shouldn't have been. It's built on a, on a planet which is suffering from massive radiation. The, the resort itself is protected from that, but once you're outside, you've got limited oxygen. Um, you can get uh, sun blistered to death uh, and what have you. So they're in this uh, protective truck. It's been uh, it's been caught in a dreg's trap. Uh, so yeah, all... they've, they've built a road trap. <laughs> yeah, they've built a road trap. Um, and they're all trying to escape. They're all in the truck. And finally, we hear Benny. Uh, after, you know, after a while, and he asks um, to. He asks, "Is it Vilma?" Uh, Not Wilma. It's, yeah, it's Velma. It's Velma. Yeah, I was gonna say. V- Vil- Vilma. Vilma. Yes. So he asks. He finally gets to ask Vilma the question, "Will you marry me?" Um, and of course, she says yes, and it's all very nice. And he goes, you know, and then he apologizes for having to ask the second question, which is, "Will you please kill me?" Now, that should be quite a uh, creepy, atmospheric moment, but it didn't work for me. And I think the reason being is because of all those questions I, you know, I put forward before. There's no tantalising uh, hint of maybe what the dregs are doing or why they're doing it. Um, nothing's really explained and i don't mean explained in the sense that you know we we are spoon f- spoon fed every single piece of information that we need i don't mean it in that sense but i mean even just a little snippet of something which will make you piece the you know piece things together and make you as the audience go oh my god is that what they're doing but there's 
There's nothing. There's no. Hint. I had a strange thought. I thought maybe they're being lured outside, and because when when the doctor was talking about them being apex predators, and she kind of implied that they might be kind of adaptive, I thought, have they turned him into a dreg, and they're going to go out and find a dreg like with his hat on? Uh, yeah, it's uh, well, funny enough. That, 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 well, that that did cross my mind as well. Uh, has he has he been turned into a dreg? But really. There's nothing that has presented us to as the audience to suggest that's happened. And later on with what we know about the dregs, are we t- are we also maybe we're supposed to assume that they've maybe turned into some sort of pet? I don't know. There's 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 nothing for us the audience to latch on to. It could have been something really graphic, but he was able to talk and he didn't seem like he was in a lot of pain. No, no, he didn't. So that was sort of one of those moments where you go I can see what you're trying to do. It's a good idea. You haven't got everything there to make the whole thing gel. No. And if he's just, um, if he's simply held captive, why would he say, kill me? Hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's a strange one. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, the, the, they all eventually uh, manage to escape. They find some tunnels because now. So, this is another thing as well. This whole trip for Benny. Um, the whole idea of being atmospheric and all the rest of it doesn't work. It's really just been a detour for the sake of it, uh, because that really didn't didn't seem to function the story at all. So now, now they've left the resort. Now they're getting. Now they want to go back. It's like right, okay. So now they've found some tunnels, and they're going through the tunnels to get back to um, uh, to get back to the resort, uh, and. This is when we learn the big, massive twist, which is that this is Ravalox. No, that this is uh, that this is Earth. What, what did you think of that moment? I wasn't really surprised. Um, she makes mental contact with the Dreg, and she sees images of kind of modern human warfare. So it becomes clear to her who the Dregs are. And when they saw the the Siberian underground, um, yes, it did remind me of. Um, the mysterious planet, and of course we know Chibnall doesn't like Trial of a Time Lord. Is is this his kind of um, way of retconning that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that Maybe. didn't happen. It happened my way. <laughs> but then, even at the end of the story, he, he you know he just said this this is just a potential future. Yeah, um, and I know which I know which one I prefer. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, um, I think. Uh, in terms of the idea itself, um, it's it's fine. I don't think it's a, an idea that sort of sets the the world on fire, as it were. Um, you know, it's a perfectly reasonable science fiction idea. Um, nothing wrong with that. Uh, the moment itself, uh, in terms of how it's performed, I think, and more in terms of how it's written, um, I think the, the way that it is performed, uh, I think, is, is quite good. Um, because then everything is sort of, pieced together quite quickly and I don't think it's it's it is later on but at that moment it's not really specifically spelled out that means the dregs are human it's you know the the, the, the um the influence it's definitely that, implied yeah yeah that's it it's it's implied it doesn't need to be so that, that sort of like specifically spelled out it all you know it's all there that that, that this is earth and you just go mm. well that means the dregs are human and they're, yeah. they're adaptive and all the rest of it so I think that brief moment, uh, in terms of the way that it's done, is is handled, you know, reasonably well. 
whether it's the the massive surprise that I think it was supposed to be um, is another matter, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's it's okay. It also didn't make much sense when the doctor made mental contact with the the big drag, <laughs> um, and she gets such vivid images. I'm guessing that's just like genetic memory. This particular drag wasn't like a soldier, <laughs> <laughs> Captain Drag. <laughs> Captain Drag, yeah, uh, yeah. That that is a good point because it. Ma- she manages to see everything, but then, yeah, um, maybe she was very fortunate. She's got the one dreg that lived through it all and uh, evolved into this thing. Or, um, or maybe <laughs> dregs have their own equivalent of the BBC, and it was all uh, the footage of some documentary they all watched. Oh, yes. um, that that's what it will be. Um, but yes, yeah, so it becomes clear clear to that then they're not alien. Yeah. Um, but rather. Um, by the def- definition, they're the dregs of humanity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> which, um, that's, that's got to be deliberate. Uh, which, uh, to be honest, I do quite like. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the creature takes hold of the Doctor, and um, Kane rocks up to save her. And now, I'm a bit confused here. The Doctor's talking about a CO2 atmosphere in the very same scene that there's fires around her and Kane uses a flare um, both things that are fueled by oxygen is this the kind of thing I shouldn't bring up because it just kind of spoils the magic <laughs> um, well I think when I think this is, comes to the point I mean you are right I didn't th- I didn't think that when I was watching it uh, oh. but that might be have I ruined I, it for you now <laughs> yes I was loving this episode until now um, no I think it didn't it didn't occur to me, but that might be because I'm an idiot. I don't know, but I think. But you raise a good point in general, anyway, because if you're watching a story and you're going, "Hang on, the physics of this makes no sense whatsoever." Um, I think and Doc, it, Doctor Who of all shows just defies physics. <laughs> yeah, but I think if if it's come to that point, you you know, you, when you're watching a Doctor Who episode and you're going, you know, you're going, "Oh, the physics of this doesn't make any yeah. sense." Um, then that I, th- I think that's probably criticism enough yeah. for it. Although there is another scene at the end, um, you know when the health spa blows up? Yeah. Now it's a giant explosion inside an oxygen-filled dome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yet it behaves like a regular explosion outdoors and just kind of goes upwards and <laughs> dies out. Yeah. In yeah. reality, the the whole interior would have probably engulfed in flames. <laughs> so what you're saying is the special effects could have been much better. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. And they right. all would have died. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, the dregs almost remind me of a couple of things. The hikes, the creature from um, Series 2, Love and Monsters. It also featured in Torchwood in one episode. Also a little bit like the Weevils in Torchwood. Um, now it's worth mentioning the Weevils because in that in an episode of Torchwood's first series, someone speculates that the Weevils might be us a million years from now. Oh yes, you're right. There is a um, there is a, a similar design. I think probably more in terms of the the jaw and the teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes, you're right. Actually, yeah. But but the idea of them being the, the future of humanity, I kind of liked that at the time, and I kind of believed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wonder if um, 
I wonder if that was influenced by Chibnall because he was screenwriter. Possibly. Uh, I'm wondering if it's also the same designer. Um, I'm going to see if I can find out. I like the um, the O2 breather. Obviously, yeah, that was that was, that, that was um, important for the plot though because it was how the Doctor learned um, about the kind of reverse respiratory system that the um, the dregs have got because they they take in a. Um, CO2 and give out oxygen mm-hmm. and it was it was able to one breath from this drag <laughs> was able to kind of refill our oxygen supply <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean the, the, I, I bought it in a way that it was uh, it was it was handled and I, I thought that was that was fine and I, I did quite like that um, as you said the uh, the oxygen tank design um, and even just that little moment, because it, it has this audio thing where it tells you that it's running out and just the doctor's just saying, oh, shut up. Just little touches like that, which I quite like. Um, mm. So yeah, I thought that was good. I'd like to point out that the doctor was running low on oxygen. Is this something new to learn, that the doctor is just as oxygen um, dependent as us? I think it's one of those things where um, <laughs> it really depends on the plot and the uh, the atmosphere that you're trying to do. In term, because we we've seen uh, in the past, the doctor's able to um, uh, hold his breath uh, and and not be reliant on oxygen for quite a while. But I don't think that means indefinitely. Um, just something that you pointed out before. So you know the episode of Torchwood with the the hikes in it. Do you remember the episode title? Um. It was actually, I think it was, it might have been called Exit Wounds. It was the episode after Fracture in Series 2. Oh, there is an episode called, right, okay, because it's interesting. So, uh, Ray Holman is a costume designer, and he has worked on Doctor Who. He's worked on quite a few episodes, um, including this one, Orphan 55. And he has also worked on Torchwood. Oh, okay. Pretty much most of the episodes, by the looks of it, including Exit Wound. Mm-hmm. So, so um, and in turn, let's have a look at his episode, uh, his Doctor Who stories. He doesn't seem to appear, uh, appear to have designed Love and Monsters. Because uh, right. I think that was 2006, wasn't it? And his first yes. episode apparently was Blink in 2007. Yeah. But it's interesting, he has worked quite extensively on Doctor Who and he has worked previously on Torchwood, so I'm wondering if... Um... He's had a, quite a bit of experience then. Yeah, um, yeah. They've obviously come a long way since designing um, like the Slitheen. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Compare them to the, the dregs. <laughs> yeah. Who would win? Oh, the dregs easily, I think. Should we talk about the worst chat-up line in the world? <laughs> yeah, go on. Yeah, Ryan starts to connect with Bella when they're on the um, what do we call it? The van, the bus, <laughs> the vehicle. <laughs> yeah, whatever. And then the doctor sits in between them, so um, she's oblivious to what's going on, which like previous doctors have been. But then Yasmin jumps in, like, "Yeah, Ryan, what were you talking about?" Um. N- you mentioned there was a moment in the first episode where y- Yasmin got in the way of Ryan and her sister in some way, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Could the could they imply that something would happen in between Ryan and Yasmin at some point? It's not something I believe would happen, but... I mean, it's possible, but it's not how I've seen uh, their relationship develop. I see them more as just being good, close friends. Yeah. Um, 
if it if it does develop into something um something more romantic i'd be quite surprised i think actually also a little bit disappointed because i quite like the fact that the tardis crew are just friends and there's something quite nice about um just seeing that that dynamic and that display or rather just fake family yeah uh, yeah maybe more like a brother sister relationship yeah yeah and i think you know um because in, in in spyfall part one ryan makes a point he will make sure that nothing ever happens to um to Yaz, which I think was a nice little moment between them, and yeah, I don't think it was meant uh, in a particular uh, in a in a romantic way. I think it was you know just a, a friend looking out for a friend. Before they went into the tunnel, they had to leave the van, <laughs> um, and Vaughn and Kane decide to take on the dregs, and I'm guessing Vaughn dies, and Hyphen with a three dies. Were you bothered? Well, there was a couple of things with this sort of thing. They're not... Nothing's really... um, There's not enough there for us to connect with them in terms of characters as... as, In terms of the audience. And the other thing as well is that um, their their death is just dealt with uh, in no meaningful way. Um, You know, we... It's not... You know, we have been introduced to these characters. Um... And then for them to die should have, you know, should have some impact, but it's just sort of glossed over both. So both in terms of the writing and the direction, it's yeah. So the fact that these character characters die doesn't really, doesn't really add anything. Mm. Maybe there's some kind of deep message here that we're not seeing. Maybe take three unrelated random plot elements, hyphenate them three times. Yeah. Because a hyphen with a three, she's the key. She's the key to this plot to figuring it out. Oh, yeah. so it's all cryptic, and we haven't we haven't clocked it, but all the yeah. clues are there. It's like yeah, it's like I don't know the the Doctor Who's equivalent of Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, okay. So hyphen three is uh, is Laura Palmer. Yes. Ah. Ooh, so when they get to the service tunnel, Vilma asks Kane if she's seen Benny, and um. She reassures her, like, oh, yes, I saw him, and I killed him. <laughs> <laughs> um, I get that she might have killed him to show him mercy, but why did she need to respond so coldly? Yeah, I think it's because it's it's her character. That, you know, it's, I, I think that's that thing. You know, she she inside she has a, she has a, a heart, but you know she has the exterior of ice or something like that. Yeah. And when she learns that Bella's actually a daughter, mm. moments later, she distracts her and pulls a gun on her. Yeah. As well, yeah. And this is the other thing as well, is that, right, okay, there's this, uh, there's the history between these two characters, which, um, which has an impact on how things develop. Um, you know, with, with uh, Bella wanting to, to blow the whole resort up and, and so on. But unless I've missed something, that's not really explained, is it? No. Um, like, she's trying to just blow it up out of resentment. Yeah. Like, but, why Why is she suddenly a terrorist? Yes. Now, okay. Um, she what? You know, she hasn't seen her mother for years. She, she, she has abandonment, abandonment issues. Um, 
Is this Chris, Chris Chibnall's attempt of doing a sort of ace storyline? I know he didn't write the episode. Yeah, it's just it's just really odd. It doesn't really it, again. It doesn't explain anything, you know. Um, yeah, abandonment doesn't necessarily lead to revenge. Yeah, or it doesn't it doesn't mean <laughs> that you know you suddenly become an expert in bomb making. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it it doesn't one doesn't equate to the other. There are there are certain you know if if that's your outcome, I would I would have expected other things to have been involved in you wanting to blow up a holiday resort um it's really again that's really odd it seems a bit that feels like it's just something chucked in it's not really explained and it also affected us in a strange way because we're going through the story from ryan's point of view with her and he's close to her so we're busy trying to empathize with her so it's a strange position as a viewer to be put in it's like it's like oh she's nice but she's trying to blow it up and yeah it's a strange place yeah well there's nothing wrong with that that can actually be quite uh, a good uh, plot and character device it you know it, it can show that you know people aren't black and white people are complicated people can fall in these uh, these gray areas kablam last year mm-hmm. did that you mm-hmm. know we're introduced to this um domestic member of staff he seems quite friendly uh he's fallen in love with you know with one of the other characters and then we find out he's the one who's responsible for this and he's wanting to become a, a massive um, uh, a terrorist and, and, and murder innocent people. Mm. Now, the, Kablam handled that really rather well because, you know, you see we're introduced to this character, we learn a, a certain aspect of this character, and then when we find out something more about him, but it, the way that is explained and revealed, I actually thought was quite good. And I think that was, you know, it, 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 that's good writing. Here, um, I think it's another case of Orphan 55 having a, a good idea, arguably not original, but a, nonetheless a good idea. You can do interesting things with that, but something feels missing. And it's like mm. what I was saying before, there's a, lot, there's a lot of instances within this episode where something is introduced, and it, doesn't really see, it doesn't really seem to go anywhere, it doesn't seem to function anything, or we're not given the full, the no. full picture it's almost like it would have functioned better as a two-parter, but I'm grateful it wasn't. <laughs> no, no, I, I know what you mean, because if it was a two-parter, maybe it would have given enough time to um, to have these stories unfold in a particular way, because Orphan 55's, I think, really... I think it's structurally bizarre. Um, I mean, it makes sense, but in the in, in the loosest possible way. It feels like... An awful lot of vital information is missing from it. So, I mean, is this the case of... Because, um, you know, writing uh, something, in this case a television episode, uh, takes, um, you know, it's a a lot of hard work. And I don't want to criticise Ed Heim as a writer. We've seen what he can do. He's written uh, the previous series, It Takes You Away. You know, uh, you know the the, the biz- I think also known as the bizarre episode with the frog at the end. Yeah, that's a, that's a good peculiar episode. But I, but I mean that in a in a positive way. That's a good episode. But it, and it had a coherent plot. You know, there wasn't an, wasn't many gaps, was there? Yeah, L- love it so, or hate it, it was written well. Yeah, I think I think it was written well, and I, I quite like the episode. So maybe maybe it's a case of you know because everyone you know does excellent work, and sometimes you know. 
they drop the ball? Is this a case of Ed Han dropping the ball and next time he writes an episode? Because I would like <coughs> him to come back. Next time he writes an episode, will it be better? Uh, hopefully it will be. So I wonder, is this a case of Ed Han dropping the ball or is this because of bad editing or something? I don't know. There's just... Maybe it lost something. Yeah, yeah maybe it lost screen. something. Mm. Script to screen. Or maybe it could have been the case that these things were written, but they were edited out. Uh, like they were filmed and they were edited out. I don't Possibly. know. Possibly. Mm. Yeah. So Vilma decides to sacrifice herself to let the others run away. Mm-hmm. You know, she's lost everything. So I guess that um, justifies the way she feels, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't to die. Um and just like, which one of you's killed my Benny? We never got to see what happened to her. Um, I mean, I bet she went full ninja on them, ripping off limbs and heads. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that's um, that's the end of their story. And how did it serve as the plot? I wonder. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's again that's it's sort of not not dwelt on. I have a bigger problem when it uh, later on in the the episode when it comes to uh, the death of some of the other characters but we'll get to that Cain seems to sacrifice herself yeah um, it's quite a monumental shift in the person we've witnessed so far this mm-hmm. um selfish person so I guess it's a transition between where we saw earlier and where we see her at the end but without knowing what's going on in her mind it's hard to understand yeah I, th- I think this is uh, it's Orphan 55 has all these tropes of um, science fiction in general or drama in general uh, which have become sort of cliches but you know cliches can still work and be presented in a good way Uh, but Orphan 55 seems to present these in a sort of um, in a cack-handed way I would say and actually you know it has these ideas which Doctor Who has done before and I would say has handled it much better so you know, we, you know, we sort of joked before that this big turning point that the that this planet Orphan Fifty Five is actually Earth, you know, and sort of like, oh, it reminds me of Ravelox. But mm. yeah, it just goes well. The Trial of a Time Lord's done it before, and um, that's a story which um, it's funny since it's come out on Blu-ray. The Trial of a Time Lord has been, I think, more reevaluated and people love it more, which is nice. But for but really since it's broadcast since 1986 it's been largely criticised but so Orphan 55 I think you know has that idea which Doctor Who did previously but makes it but does it worse and it's sort of interesting because as you pointed out Chris Chibnall famously at the time uh, said that you know the trial of the time lord wasn't up to much you know but it, it was better than this <laughs> yeah it was, it was <laughs> I'm sorry but yeah it was better it was better than this we have we have characters uh, who who are there and don't really do anything. The plot seems to be completely pointless, but it's all fine, Rob, because it was all a, we we all had a message. We did. Yeah. I, f- I forget what that message was. He'll remind me at the end. Yeah, um, I'll remind you at the end because I mean okay. it was subtle. Uh, blink um, and you missed it. God, I feel like we're being. Sa- I feel like I'm being savage in this spot anyway. Yeah, I'm so glad we didn't record this on Sunday. I needed. I really needed time to calm down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Would have based the whole podcast on that last thirty seconds of the show. You know what I think? <laughs> I think we would. Have, so at least we can we can rip into the whole hour. Yes. <laughs> anyway. We're getting towards that. Um, 
the characters are back in the resort and the doctor explains to the fam that uh, this is Earth. You know, um, they find a Made in China sticker on the back of the vending machine. Mm-hmm. Although this resort was built long since the Earth was abandoned, how do they have a Made in China vending machine? Shh. Quibbles, <laughs> Rob, quibbles. Uh, move on, move on. Okay. Move on. <laughs> um... <laughs> Anyway, her, her explanation for this is um, ignoring the warning signs from all the scientists and global warming. Um, but she does, um, she does say, when I say run, run. I like that bit. Yes, I, yeah, I like that as well. It's just like, hey, yeah, I like that. Sugarcoating the whole message. <laughs> yeah. So yes, back in the living room, Silas has been ignored by his dad. Um, as clearly he's more capable than his dad. Um Without a frustration, he shuts the door and goes. Um, mm-hmm. Moments later, Silas returns. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, um, yeah. <laughs> Saves the day. Yep. Um, the Doctor has a plan. She faces off with the Alpha um, Dreg. Don't know why you would have done that, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Which you know, I, I did. I did like that scene. I liked the way how how that was handled. I thought that was quite a, an interesting scene. Yeah. So the doctor um, is essentially in a cage in the room, and she deprives the creature of the carbon dioxide that it needs. And clearly, it understands because it has an intelligence. So mm. it's willing to. It, it's capable of listening to her, understanding, and. It makes a compromise that it'll not kill them in order to survive. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it's a strange scene. What did it all amount to? You know, we got to see... She she outsmarted this creature because of its intelligence. But mm-hmm. they never showed much sign of intelligence. I think it was one of those things where it was, you know, maybe a bit of a glimpse of maybe something that the episode could have contained. You know, we've got these monsters and then, yeah, as you said... Because really, the only thing that we've we've hinted at, at their intelligence is that well, they ma- they were able to make a trap, mm-hmm. and then this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nothing really to. It it just seemed a bit of a leap. Yeah, maybe um, maybe um, it would have been a more clever idea if she was going to exploit um, a quality of them. It could have been exploiting their humanity. Yes, that would have been more interesting. So there's a bit of a dilemma at the end. Um, there's too many people to be transported out. But Bella kisses Ryan and then she runs to sacrifice herself to save them. Yeah. Silas and Nevi are teleported away to safety. Silas, you've been brilliant, the Doctor says. So maybe this is a little me- message to kids. Like, mm-hmm. like you can be awesome, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just fine. I've got a problem yeah. with that, yeah. Um, so that's the end of them. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Off the pop. <laughs> but as Bella's on the ground, Kane arrives, like, alive and well. So who knows what happened to her. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's out the blue. And what's the, what's the big change of heart? Um, I'm also a bit confused. Um, with Kane's character, she claims that she built all this for Bella. She's, yeah, well, she, she, she says, I've done all this for you. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Just well, yeah. could have told her that she got a free holiday out of it. I mean, right? You you abandoned bringing your daughter up to build a holiday resort. 
in a place when you shouldn't have, and if it didn't work, it'd be dangerous. It doesn't make any sense. But it was actually a secret plan to uh, terraform the Earth. Mmm, <laughs> yeah, okay. But yes, um, there's a scene with the sucking the thumbs, and mm-hmm. and then the fam goes. <laughs> yep. Yep, um, transported back to the TARDIS, and Ryan's feeling the loss of um, leaving Bella behind. Yeah. Graham tries to reassure him, you know, oh, they'll be fine, mate, you know. <laughs> but of course, he knows better. Mm-hmm. Ryan's like, how? With no oxygen, no way, no way home. But um, I'd just like to point out, not a single one of them mentions, or even suggests, taking the TARDIS to save them. Did you notice that? Yeah. I mean, I thought... Like, even well, if the reductors the... reluctant to do it, that none of them even, like, puts the hand up and says, like, let's just, let's just, let's just go and rescue them, you know? <laughs> right, okay, well, this is the bit where I... It's sort of like a family Friday. This is where we get into the, irrita- the real irritating realm of this episode. So, uh, this event has happened, right, and this should be uh, really dramatic uh, and, and uh, a lot should be going on. And that, that's what it looked like we were going with it so uh you know because uh, ryan has developed you know developed a relationship with bella and they have all left them there to die uh graham is doing this thing of going you know you know trying to be hopeful but you know he knows it's not really the case that's actually really good uh you know that's acted well that's all fine uh but yeah as you said it's a bit odd um no one suggests well can't we take the tardis there uh, there's nothing, you know. There's not even a throwaway line. We can't because of they'll already be dead, rewriting history, or. Um, or Mind, I did that, almost think it was coming because the doctor says, "I know what you're all thinking," and I thought it was, "Yeah, we'll go rescue them." But it was like she was like, "How can that be Earth?" <laughs> yeah, it was just like these people that you that we have befriended. Uh, it's all right. They're dead. <laughs> you know, uh, they've been brutally killed by the drugs. Uh, but uh, ignore that because uh, this whole episode was an environmental message. <laughs> now, I want to make it perfectly clear that I haven't got a problem with Doctor Who uh, talking about the importance of uh, conserving the planet and having environmental concerns. Right? I haven't got a problem with that. In fact, Doctor Who has done it before. Uh, and I think it did it in a really interesting way. It's done it in several stories, but the obvious one that I think most Doctor Who fans will be aware of is the Green Death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what the entire story is about. It's woven into it, but there are other things going on. And it's quite evenly handled, and it, it's very interesting. It's uh, it's conservative in, in some respects. It's liberal in others. And then what's also very interesting is that the following season, they have another story which looks at it, uh, which is uh, Invasion of the Dinosaurs, but it does it through a different filter. It looks at eco-terrorists. So that, you know, that through this mad science fiction filter, it looks at eco-terrorists and chucks in some dinosaurs. But it does, that's really interesting. Doctor Who wouldn't do that now. It wouldn't have, here's a story about, you know, the pro-environmental message, but also let's now look at uh, the extreme side of that message. It's all about finding sort of like a middle ground, if you like. The show wouldn't do that now, and I think that's a detriment to it. But anyway, and I think the sense that I get with Orphan 55 of maybe it was trying to to do that, those two elements in one story. You know, maybe mm-hmm. Bella was supposed to be the eco-terrorist. Yes. You know, so, she, you know, she's 
you know, her her legitimate concerns have morphed into something terrible. So you can look at it from that side of view, uh, point of view. Uh, but the rest of the episode has been you know, all about tampering that and presenting it in a reasonable way and going, well, this is you know this is the correct approach in terms of uh, how to protect the environment or whatever. Um, but it's it's not as we've said. I think Orphan Fifty Five has some good ideas in it. Um, as again, not not strictly original, but it has some good ideas in there. It has some good moments in there, but it's all very bitty and all over the place. It doesn't seem to gel, and then at the very last minute, we we're chucked in what isn't the most subtle writing ever, which is all about this is a possible future. Uh, because of uh, if we don't look after Earth, uh, we will turn into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she might as well have been looking at the camera. Well, she was. Well, well, she was. Was she? Was she I don't know. I was looking away, watching through my fingers. <laughs> yeah. It's so. It's a. It's a bit of a. Bit of a funny one. <laughs> bit of a funny mm, one. This one, isn't it? Yeah. If you consider that this um, this message could be influential on children how do you think how effective do you think that would be because i guess it's not the most simple story to interpret well i think um in many respects this is in some respects this is sort of like the bread and butter of doctor who it's the monster of the week episode mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that uh, you know doctor who's essentially been built on that monster of the week episode and in this case it's the dregs and it's a good design and i think uh kids can potentially find those monsters scary fine so it's got that element to it uh this whole twist that you know we could potentially evolve into these things Mm. that's sort of interesting a bit of a sort of planet of the apes type idea if you like you know devolution but um but obviously the the way that the episode ends it's it's it you know it's it's very heavy-handed in you know we've got to protect the environment Mm mm-hmm um fine but there's not like so so going back to the green death what it talks you know what it talks about is that you know you've got human progress and we mm-hmm. need to progress that's part of natural human endeavor it makes our lives uh uh more uh you know comfortable more efficient and so on but at the same time you have to be careful of certain progress you know what does that progress mean what direction is that going to take and it's it's very um well written and presented so you know you've got uh you know you got joe grant's character who is you know uh, very much at the forefront of you know we, we've got to halt pollution yeah uh, at, you know uh, at all costs and then uh, and then you've got the brigadier who goes no nonsense cheap petrol and loads of it that's exactly what the world needs so he's sort of like the everyman in that situation but uh, but then you've also got, you know, the thing about, you know, jobs and people need to live and all the rest of it. It's, you know, it's a very, it's quite a mature story, but it's got mm. giant maggots in it. Uh, mm. So it's scary for kids and so on. But, you know, for slightly older kids, they will get the message and adults obviously get it. And it's it's all very interesting. Now, now arguably, you can't be uh, as rich in the storytelling because that was a six-part episode, uh, a six-part story. Mm. Um and that's obviously something that you you can't get now but nonetheless you can have a bit of richness and character depth in these stories orphan 55 if it did want to be um an environmental story 
for the love of God, do it properly. You can do it in an entertaining way. But it's sort of funny. Terence Dix, who was the script editor during the John Perry era, he had always said, um, uh, political messages do not work in Doctor Who. If you want to have a political message, contact Western Union. But it's sort of funny because during his period he did have political stories and Doctor Who has done political stories during during the course of it. But I think the entertainment value was always at the forefront because Doctor Who is science fiction um, television series and it's supposed to be entertaining. You can tell varying stories uh, within that. You can have moral, ethical, political commentary in that. Um, but at the heart of it, it's supposed to be entertaining. You tell a gripping good story. It's well-structured and well-presented. Orphan 55, in my view, isn't that. It's uh, It's got elements of interesting ideas. I think we can see what it was trying to do. It's not a simple solution, changing um, what we do to save the planet, is it? Of course, there's a lot of factors, like unless, unless it's, you're living in a totalitarian state hell-bent on saving the planet. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, the, the, there's obviously um, certain uh, certain actions that can be detrimental to like diplomacy, um, to the economy and different things. There's, there's countries who um, the Dutch don't have the infrastructure, they depend on coal. Mm-hmm. Um, you, can't, you can't impose the ideal way of living on... Um, on certain people, can you? No, and I think, and, and, and no, should we? Because we're seeing countries which are developing and improving their standards of living. It, and it's not a quick and easy process. And, you know, we are asking these countries to, to stop that, uh, which is problematic in of itself. And, and then you're going, right, okay, if the onus is on us, um, then what does that mean? What does that involve? I, I don't go too... I don't want to go too much into it because this is at the end of the day a podcast about Doctor Who. It's not. A, it's not a politics podcast. I could actually, you know, um, you know, th- th- there are wonderful things about the uh, you know environmental movement. There are detrimental things about the environmental movement. I think it's been hijacked by some, you know, some nutters. Yeah. Uh, which in a which sort of dark twist of irony means that what they're trying to uh, do, which is improve our understanding of the environment and so on it, it, it's actually going to have the opposite effect yeah it makes us kind of alienated from their views doesn't it yeah especially and, when it's being shoved down your throat the way it um the way yeah, it has it, been in doctor who like we don't yeah, like we don't like being told what to do no and because uh, I, th- I think this is taking more of the approach of you know we are doomed um it's very uh, apocalyptic yeah, and this that in fact because this, this is one element of the environmental movement uh, which has always proven it because it's been there from the fifties to the present day where they went you know unless we do something about it now uh, we're we as a species are all going to die out in ten years time then ten years time happens and then you know that they've well we're still around I mean I'm not, I'm not arguing I'm not I'm not suggesting that uh, things are perfect and things can't be improved they can but taking the doom laden approach that you know uh, we're all going to die in five ten years time or i think you know some people were even saying towards the end of last year uh we've got two months oh <laughs> yeah um so uh, 
are going to look pretty foolish when we're all dead in the next month. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's not the way to, you know, to to get people to discuss things and bring people forward and, and, and all the rest of it and listen. Mm-hmm. You're actually alienating people. Yes. Uh, and the, Orphan 55 is, uh, with its environmental approach, I think... Well, one, it's lazy, if anything. Because as we've said, it's not really woven into the story. It's just sort of as subtle as... A, it's just this random bit which is subtle as a sludge, sledgehammer to the face at the very yeah. end of the episode. I mean, as I said, I haven't got a problem with... with Doctor Who, uh, in this instance, because uh, having an environmental message, haven't got a problem with that. But if you are going to do it, I would you know, write it and present it properly. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it would have worked better as a like a more contemporary story, or um, or in the near future, uh, or set it in the distant future, but not um, yes, not do it this way. <laughs> yeah, it's poorly executed. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. It's it's poorly executed. Um, which is a shame because everyone involved in putting it on the screen have done the best they can. I think uh, the direction seems to be fine. The cinematography is very good. The vast majority of the actors are are good. You know, the the costume designs uh, and so on, you know, all that's good. It's just a shame that I think the weaknesses in the writing, possibly in the editing as well, because as we've said, it feels like Something's missing uh, with a lot of the stuff. It's it's um, it's a very odd episode. Yeah, and I think this is because again, it's it's a frustrating thing. It's not just it's not just the case that it was a disappointing, poorly structured episode. You kind of watch it and you're going. You can see glimmers of things that could have made this better. It's. Um, yeah, it's, it's an unfortunate it's mess. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it is. There are things that are good in it, but the, the whole, the whole, the whole episode, I, th- I was largely disappointed with it, especially following on from episodes one and two of Spyfall, which, um, uh, which were excellent. Yeah, we didn't deserve this so soon after Spyfall. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we didn't. Uh, um, so I hope this is just um, a blip. I hope it doesn't and, put too many people off. Yeah. And I hope this is just a blip and uh, the quality returns for next week. Mm-hmm. So, moving on to what the listeners thought. On Twitter, a few of you told us what you thought of Orphan 55. Doctor Who, the Target World podcast, said, Strong performance from everybody. I thought tonight was quite a scary monster. Good end speech from Jodie's Doctor. I like that it's shown more of her dark side. Opening bit did remind me a bit of Delta and the Bannerman. I certainly agree there that the, 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 uh, the, there was good performances. Um, the acting was, you know, was good. So. Bad Wolf sixty six said it was okay, I guess. A bit in your face with the whole humanity is bad, destroying the planet cliche. Nothing really memorable. Um, it's just another monster of the week episode. That's kind of a name of what. We were saying, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that, <laughs> that sums up the entire podcast. <laughs> Karen Mercedes said, "Still the most undoctor-like Doctor of all Doctor Who history." I was pissed off of her for most of the episode. She was inept and not very clear much of the time, and a bit of a sanctimonious bore to boot. <laughs> Tell us what you yeah. really think. <laughs> Wow, that's uh, that's quite strongly put, but 
I mean, yeah, okay. I can see where she's coming from, um, to some extent. I mean, I do quite like Jodie Whittaker, and I think I agreed with one of the other uh, the other people that I think she does give a good uh, she does give a good performance, and she is, I think, uh, a lot more confident in what she's doing as an actress in, in this series. But yeah, maybe this just falls into the whole thing because I think because um, as we were saying, we were focusing more on um, the characters of of the week uh, in terms of how they are presented, and that they're really you know quite poorly written or information seems lacking, and I think. I think that probably that, that approach did it seem to affect the um, the TARDIS crew as well. So, cheeky monkey picture said, "I thought it was great." All right, okay. Simon Ripley said, "Loved it. A revamped classic style episode." Oh, that's interesting. It's 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 great to hear that there's that there's people who actually um, like really enjoy the episode because mm-hmm. I mean we take no pleasure in, in criticizing Doctor Who because we you know we do want to enjoy it and we don't criticize it needlessly. So no, that, that's great that there are people who, who really enjoyed it. Rob Keeley said, 10 minutes daft comedy, then 40 of utter bleakness. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree with you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, great monsters in production, though I'd got the message without the sermon at the end. And mm-hmm. how did they escape an explosion two feet away? <laughs> it's, it's, it's that damn physics again. Yeah. <laughs> damn physics. Daniel Witterbottom Stanley said, The death of the old couple was clearly Chris Chibnall dream killing Pip and Jane Baker. <laughs> <laughs> Embarrassing them once again on national TV. <laughs> wow, you might have a point there actually. <laughs> Tony Flyer said, Classic style real monsters, some solid, solid block references to Midnight in the Mysterious Planet, but best of all, Great to see Jodie Whittaker's 13th Doctor getting full-on cleverest person in the room mode, delegating mm. like a mad thing, getting her Gallifreyan on. Yeah, that's really good. And actually, uh, yeah, he's right. Um, I uh, I didn't clock the uh, the similarities uh, and references to Midnight, uh, but they, the, but they are there. But then again, it's sort of that's it's another episode I'd much rather watch. That was yeah. really good. I like Midnight. It was, uh, that's a superb episode. Yeah. Lucifer said, didn't mind the episode. Doesn't this mean, though, that the episode Utopia is also one possible future and that maybe multiverse theory is already in play? Hmm. Well, Utopia wasn't Earth, though, was it? No, no, it wasn't. But I think what um, Satan means is that... Uh, sorry, no. I think what I think what he means is that um, because that was uh, an evolved form of humanity, of wasn't humanity, it? yes. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think that's what he's referring to. Ah, okay. Theta Sigma's Doctor Who podcast said, A fantastic piece of Doctor Who, brilliantly acted, superbly produced, shame about the sledgehammer to crack a nut lecture at the end. Mm-hmm. At that point, the entire episode lost its integrity. I think a lot of people are going to have um, problems with that with that last moment uh, because it... Um, there was no deafness or subtlety in the writing. It was really uh, hammering at home in a, in, a, in a not particularly craftsman-like way. Um, and I think the problem that we had as well, it, it seemed it didn't seem to um, gel with the the few previous moments as well. As well, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to have problems with that. I did say to him that. Um... Had we reviewed the episode on the Sunday night, we'd probably be moaning about it a lot. Um, 
He said we'll hear that he virtually stopped his review because of it on this podcast this week. Oh, wow. I'll <laughs> right, okay. have to listen to that. Theatre uh, Sigma's Doctor Who podcast number 297, out now. <laughs> oh, that should be an interesting rant by the sounds of it, yeah. Mark Booth said, Never mind the plodding, CO2 breathing monsters, the thin plot, poor quality effects, the shallow characterization. How did they set those fires underground in the absence of oxygen? Thank you, Mark Booth. Oh, it's a damn physics again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, never mind that the whole episode's crap. Why doesn't the physics in this episode make sense? Makes just as little sense as the characters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If the Wh- physics which in this which defies belief longer. more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, just a quick reminder, you can find us on social media, facebook.com slash cloisterbell, we're on Twitter, at podcastbell, and we're on Instagram, cloister underscore bell. Make sure to follow, like, subscribe, um, just to stay up to date. Uh, like those uh, other listeners, uh, please do get in contact. We do like hearing uh, your responses, uh, whether in agreement or disagreement with us, it's all good, so please don't hesitate and get in contact. We do like hearing from you. Um, so I think in terms of a conclusion, I think we're not um, we're not massive fans of Orphan Fifty Five. I mean, I suppose I mean I wouldn't have massive objections if someone put it on to, to watch, but I certainly won't be returning to it very very soon, um, anytime soon. Would you? Do you feel the same? Yes, I don't think I'll rewatch it again soon. I think it was a lot easier to watch on the second time round, and. If you take the message out at the end, it was a it was a fairly average. It was a good story, um, as poor stories go. <laughs> it's the best of the crap. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> of the dregs, it was the best. Yeah. Hey, um, now this is a bit because usually I found it quite easy to to give the episodes a score, but I really struggled with this. Have you given this episode a score? It's a tough one. It could have done better. Obviously, it has some grim elements to it, like the tragic fate of Vilma and Benny, which should have had an impact on us, but it didn't. The moral of the story was spoon-fed to us at the end. That should have had a better impact. It should have been executed better. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a fairly neutral score. If this is a fair score or not, I don't know, but I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. Right, okay. Because as I said, I really struggled with this i think um as we've said we have big problems with this episode uh, uh, basically what you just said a few moments ago but there are things in it which are fine um i think probably the best thing about it is that it's, it's give us plenty of memes in the, in the doctor who world <laughs> sending around benny uh which which is which has proven rather delightful uh but yeah i've given it exactly the same score you have five out of ten so earlier on in the podcast, we both asked each other uh, a trivia question. I asked the question, what was the name of the rebellion that ended in an utter bloodbath, I think I said, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Was it the Goat Rebellion? It was not the Goat Rebellion. It oh. was the Woolly Rebellion. Ah, oh, involving goats, though. Yes. Oh, okay. Involving sheep. Oh, was it sheep? Oh, right, okay, so I've oh, right, okay, so got that completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and that was me at the beginning thinking, I think I know this one. Um, <laughs> right, okay. Well, I asked, um, 
Orphan 55 was shot in location in Lanzarote, which classic Doctor Who story also filmed there? I've got a mental block. Is this um, Pete Davidson story? Yes, it is, yep. Why am I going to kick myself after this? Go on then, Tommy. Planet of Fire. Alright, yes. <laughs> what I did find out, because um, I was going to ask a slightly different question, um, but it was with regards to foreign locations, but I settled on that one. And in my wanderings, I found out, you know, the um, the holiday makers, TUI. So TUI, they've actually got uh, a part of their website, which is Doctor Who, the Overseas Location Guide. Ah. So if you want to book some flights, you can go on TUI and they can tell you that, you know, fancy going to Paris? Well, of course you do, because it was in City of Death. Fancy going to Amsterdam? Arc of Infinity. It mentions Planet Fire with Lanzarote, Seville with Spain. It also mentions... You fancy going to Vancouver in Canada? Well, of course you do, because Doctor Who the movie 1996 was filmed yes. there. <laughs> <laughs> Mentions uh, Rome, Italy for the fires of Pompeii, uh, Dubai for Planet of the Dead. Um, um, Orphan 55? <laughs> <laughs> well, in terms of Tenerife, it's mentioned Planet of Fire. Oh, yes, um, sorry. <laughs> it hasn't mentioned uh, Orphan 55. It's also mentioned go to Almira, Spain for a town called Mercy. Ah. Uh, so it does bring in the, the new series there. But yeah, I, just, I thought that was I thought it was interesting. You, got a, um, you can book flights with TUI and it's actually got a dedicated... Yeah. Even they've got a Doctor Who dedicated page, so yeah. I thought it was quite interesting. That's cool. So Doctor Who returns with Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. Tesla is at war with his rival, Thomas Edison. However there's an even greater threat in the midst. Yeah, I'm looking forward to next week, so it looks yeah. like it's going to be good. Yeah, make sure to get on social media and tell us what you thought of it after, please. We'd love yeah. to hear. Yeah, and uh, tune in next week, where obviously we will be discussing that episode. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening today. Um, if you've been listening on Apple Podcasts, please let us know. Give us a rating. We'd love to know what you think. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye, everyone.